Operation Credville. You know us, just two guys going beyond conspiracy theories, taking you right into the heart of conspiracy itself. I'm Jason Spears, my co-host Christopher Dean. Let's tear it up. Join us as we go behind enemy lines to reveal the truth about another aspect of this occult matrix, as we discuss in this week's Intel Briefing, Illuminati Architecture, How Satanism is Hidden in Plain Sight, Part 1. Does the architectural landscape of America's iconic structures represent the heights of human creativity and achievement, or is there esoteric meaning and malevolent schemes behind the installations that we erect? We're going to talk about this and much more coming up right here on Operation Red Pill. Gentlemen, everyone from across the podverse, welcome back to another episode of Operation Red Pill, where we take you beyond conspiracy theories and right into the heart of the conspiracy itself. We have got a ton of good stuff to talk about today, including sacred spaces, the layout of Washington, D.C., and the true meaning behind Lady Liberty and other significant esoteric structures. But before we get into all of that hidden goodness, we got to take care of first things first. And that means introducing my co-host, the one and only, Christopher Dean. How's it going, bro? I'm doing pretty good, man. How about yourself? Excellent. Excellent. Man, it feels good to be back in the studio, doesn't it? Yeah, it always does. It that, always this is does. true. But, t- you know, today it's kind of interesting when we do these episodes, you can kind of tell what you're fighting against and what you're up against by how hard it is to get the episode ready to go. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that difficulty is in the prep. Sometimes it's in as soon as we get in the studio doing the final notes and arranging the episode. And then sometimes it's actually in the recording. It seems like today we hit some speed bumps mm-hmm. in the prep leading right up to, to the recording. And I'm like, what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. It's been a little rocky. But to our, uh, our credit, we powered through. And used words of Hillary Clinton. We power <laughs> right on through. And now here we are. Here we are. Yeah. We got a lot of good stuff to talk about, man. I am like super excited about this. We've got tons. But speaking about powering through. I don't know where this is going. I'm a little nervous. <laughs> it reminds me, uh, Jonathan, my son, mm-hmm. he likes to share in the protein shakes that I start my day with. Okay. Like you mean making them or actually taking them? Uh, he likes to shake it. Okay. Uh, but he he likes. I always give him the last little bit, so he can drink it. All I can hear is like from Madagascar. Like I like to move it, move it. I like to shake it, shake it. Like we should start a song. I bet he would like that. Right. Mm. But it was funny the other day. Uh, he wanted these. Uh, he has like the straws that have the bendy part in it. Okay. So like the flex straws. Yeah, it's a flex straw. So I, I flexed it over for him, but he was holding the the protein shaker at an angle. So because the way the straw was bent, like it kept sliding away from him. Okay. Cause he had it tilted back and he was chasing and he was working hard. Like so long. I stopped what I was doing in the kitchen. and watched for a minute. All right. And he's just chasing. And every time he, he moves it, it slides down again. Cause, cause he's, he doesn't understand how gravity works. Gotcha. You know, so he's just chasing this thing around, unable to get the straw in his mouth. Cause it's always sliding down away from him. So, Interesting. So I had to help him, and he was a little frustrated that, you know, baby does it, baby does it. <laughs> Sounds like the dinosaur. <laughs> I never even put that together until now. 
I had the baby. Uh, that's uh, it's your fault. Don't blame me. <laughs> it's not my fault. It's Chappelle's fault. As time goes by, I start feeling worse. Like, man, what is wrong with me? What the hell is wrong? I'm scared of a baby. <laughs> and this baby could be in trouble. He might need my help. I got to do something. <laughs> hey, baby. <laughs> baby, come here. <laughs> so it's clearly Chappelle's he, fault. He pats himself on the chest and says, baby, baby. That's right. That's right. He's learning. That's his name. I was like, no, you're a big boy. He goes, no, baby. <laughs> he has not earned his mister yet. <laughs> I we, guess not. Yeah, I will bestow that later. <laughs> Mr. Baby? See, we are moving up the continuum. <laughs> Next is boy. And I got to get my voice deeper to sound like Kratos. Watch your tone, boy. Yeah, as soon as I can pull that one off. Hey, I'm not mad about that one. I'll start calling him that. Hopefully he can he can speak more fluent English and not just be like, boy. <laughs> I'll start calling him Mowgli. <laughs> this is going to be great. Uh, but it, So he was powering through, right? Uh -huh. I was like, no, here, let me help you and, and fixed it. But it was interesting to me because he didn't understand that this invisible force was at work against him. So he was unable to successfully eat or, you know, consume the rest of that protein shake. And in our lives, I think it's the same way. If we fail to realize that there are other forces that we can't see at work against us, then we're just going to be chasing that straw around looking for success. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. Um, it, it's so interesting. It's so imperative that we recognize the importance of perception what we're able to perceive, what we're able to take in, how that forms our understanding of our reality. And then that forms the sphere by which we interact and operate within. Right. It's kind of like this thing where people talk about, you have to change your mindset. Uh huh. So you have to change what you understand to be true. You have to change what you accept as real. You have to change the, the understanding of the environment that you're in and to the degree that that change more accurately reflects the reality of what is the more successful we're able to navigate that environment. Okay. That right? makes sense. Mm -hmm. So it's so important to get that, you know, anytime we start talking about a subject, well, I don't want to say we, cause I don't want to speak for you, but anytime I'm involved in a, in a conversation where I have to start talking about some of these esoteric ideas that I know most people don't deal with on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. I find it helpful to take a step back and kind of build the framework that I, I work in so that the person can, can be on the same page. Does okay. that make sense? Mm -hmm. Because we will we'll use terms like reality or we'll use terms like um, our dimension and things like that. And we assume that most people understand what we mean but we haven't clearly defined it. And without that, there's not only a, a chance, it's probably a strong likelihood that we're missing because we're not communicating the same language. Yeah. I mean that it's one of the things that I appreciate, appreciate about our relationship is because even for prepping for the show, we talked about the term monument. Is this a monument? Is that a monument? Mm -hmm. And it was like two questions into it. And you were like, well, how do you define monument? 
And I chuckled. I remember because I was like, I was wondering what that chuckle was about. I didn't appreciate it. <laughs> I was like, I heard the, in my head, you idiot. Monument means monument. Why do we have to have a liturgical discussion about it? We don't need to litigate the meaning of monument. Well, I mean, because it's a it's a word that everyone uses. So that would be the typical takeaway. Like, well, how do you define monument? You know, a lot of people would even maybe take offense to it. Like, well, my definition of monument is the right definition. Right. But so often, you know, even um in our conversation and, and trying to to figure these things out and map them out, we go, well, what does that even mean? What's the actual definition? You know, we're constantly trying to refine and strengthen um, the language and framework to even have these ideas in. True. And, you know, I was actually thinking about that very thing yesterday about how often it, it it's the case that we start from a perspective of my view, my world, my definition is the definition, the view, the right way the world is supposed to go. Like it's a very myopic, self-centric view, mm-hmm. right? And then when two people are doing that, you know you're going to be off. Right. When everybody's doing <laughs> it, it's amazing we're able to communicate at all. Yeah. It's kind of like the difference. <laughs> I don't know how many of our listeners will be able to relate to this. <laughs> I am an interested and which listeners can. But it's like the difference between, let's say, a um, an AR-15 and an AK-47. Okay. You know, the, uh, the AKs are made to have a certain amount of slop built into their, their mechanism, the way they function. Mm-hmm. It's what allows them to be so dynamic, so quote-unquote reliable. They're not accurate, mm-hmm. but they're very reliable. They will fire. It just might not fire and hit where you're aiming. Okay. Right? But if you take a AR-15 or if you take the, I, w- I want to say it was the um, the the M4, if you, if you take that rifle platform, it is way more, I don't want to say streamlined, but it's more accurate mm-hmm. and the tolerances are tighter. So it doesn't have the amount of slop in its mechanism and in its functioning that the AK has. Therefore, it's more accurate. Okay. Right? Same thing happens with language. I think a lot of us communicate kind of on that AK-47 type of platform. <laughs> I mean, we're sort of kind of talking about the same thing. Uh-huh. But even that sort of kind of for somebody like you and me, who's a little more sniper rifle, because I think we're beyond, <laughs> you know, standard M4 AR-15 type platform. Right. We're going even tighter tolerances if we can. You know, we, we have to be way more accurate. The interesting thing is, and I think it was J.P. Moreland uh, who talked about this, the, the Christian author and apologist, he talked about the power of language. If you want to change the way a group thinks, you change their language because that changes their ability to conceptualize an idea, internalize it, and transmit it to someone else. Yeah. And as generational creatures, our knowledge base is almost as good as only as good as what we can pass on. If we don't do a good job passing on, then as the Bill Murray uh, movie states, it's lost in translation. Yeah, that's and it's, a good point. It's not lost to the, to the larger world around us. It's lost to our species. Yeah. And then it has to be recovered. And while it's lost, it, it provides an opportunity for us to be exploited. Mm-hmm. Right? Because we, we don't even know the concept. We don't know how to how to fight against it. We don't know how to deal with it. Well, I mean, we, we deal with that largely and intentionally from the government, 
you know, um, through political correctness. But uh, George Orwell wrote about that because the totalitarian state wanted to do away with the word freedom altogether. If you don't have a word for freedom, how How can you you even know it's being infringed upon? Right. Yeah, I see what you're going. Where you going with that, man? Wow. I because I haven't read that book. Okay. I've so, read it a couple of times. I I'm like not it. familiar. Yeah, I wasn't familiar with what he said, but just drawing that concept out while you were talking, I see the the point. Right. So getting the language, getting definitions really aids in getting an understanding. Mm-hmm. And so like I was saying before, before we jump into dealing with Illuminati architecture, there's some other concepts that I think are important to have in place so that you don't look at something like Illuminati architecture and just think, oh, they're winging it. They're absolutely in left field stretching, <laughs> right? Okay. So there normally there, there's a couple things that, that I like to deal with. One would be the limits and scope of reality. And okay. then the second one would be hyperspaces and realms. Cool. So for the limits and scope of reality, this, I, I think it was Chuck Missler who, who talked about this. First person I, I believe I encountered this concept with. He helped, helped me see that there's an upper and a lower limit to our physical plane of existence. Yeah, I remember the first time I encountered this. It was mind-blowing. Right? Did you get all excited and, and geeked out when he was talking about it? Well, it, you got to ask that question. <laughs> I think the first video you ever sent me of Chuck was dealing with this. Really? And I, and I remember I was like, it's a bit too much. Like, I wasn't ready. Like, I was I was in the midst of reforming, <laughs> you know, my my worldview and, and, and letting go of the, the lies and the deceit and everything. And this was way too much. I remember, <laughs> I don't remember what I sent you. But now that you're talking about the very first thing, I, I remember that you came back, like, deflated. Yeah. Which completely took out all the, the, set, the wind from my sail. I was like, 25% of it is good 25% of it I barely understood and 50% of it I have no idea what this dude is talking about and I'm still looking at you like wasn't it great (laughs) but I'm really glad I went back and listened to it again and pushed through because yeah it's incredible I I hear you and he's he's done stuff like that on different subjects different topics that have had that effect on me as well but this was one that I found really interesting the idea that there is a a bounding to our reality, that there's an upper limit and a lower limit. And so one of the things he talked about was how in the upper limit, we would call that the macrocosm, right? I think we've talked about this before in one of our early episodes, but you have the macrocosm, which forms the large side of things. And then you have the microcosm, which forms the, the lower side of things, right? Okay. So, like, things can only get so big because they have to fit in our universe. Exactly. And then things can actually only get so small that there's a limit to how small you can make something. Which is, a, precisely, which is a crazy idea to, to conceptualize. Because you would think, like, if you took a piece of paper and you, you, you tore it in half and then you tore that in half and tore that in half, eventually you just would have no paper, right? Right. Actually, that's not the case. There is a lower limit to how far you can tear that paper because if it if it um uh, reaches a certain size then it loses locality right exactly and i think they call this planck's constant okay so like this is where you you get into the quantum realm at that moment (laughs) 
No, I don't know. I, I the wow the the tall person part of me yeah got got real evil real quick. What were you thinking? Well, I was thinking, and this is just so geeky, but to, to insult short people that they're you know just a hair's breadth away from losing locality. Wow. <laughs> I'm not saying any names. Wow. I'm not saying any names. Oh, she's coming for you. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> I'm letting you know right now. You've got a target on your back. It might be a small target, but you've got a target on your back. She is definitely coming for you with that comment. Oh, you can't talk about my kinfolk and expect that one to slide. Yeah. I ain't going to say no names because I don't want to be in broadcast. Oh, that's funny. But this might be, we said this was part one. This might be the only part, ladies and gentlemen. There's no follow-up. I might not have a co-host for part two. I might be flying so low. And by so low, that is not a pun or an insult on short people. Uh, I'm just going to be flying. Man, dang it. You don't put a target on my back, too. Oh, guilty by association. Oh, that's wonderful. I love that. But you have the microcosm and you have the macrocosm, both on either ends of of our bounded reality, right? Mm -hmm. I, I find it interesting that right now, Marvel is trying to get in on the conversation with the 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 microcosm, they're, oh, they're with Ant Man, yeah, with Ant Man, with uh, the Quantum. What was the new one that's coming out? Quantum Universe, or? Quantum Mania, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's right. And they're they're already starting to build the narrative for the general public on what the quantum world is like. So they're doing the same thing that you're doing right now because you have to build a framework in which to introduce these new ideas or. Exactly. They're just doing it on a much bigger budget. Yeah. And a much larger audience. But we'll get there. We're working on it. Yeah, we'll get there. We're coming for you, Marvel. <laughs> Rogan first, Marvel second. Yeah, yeah, taking them all. That's it. We got to. <laughs> so I need you to stop putting targets on your back. Because <laughs> I need you here for the journey. Uh, we had a nice trajectory, but it doesn't look like we're going to make it. <laughs> Christopher's out early. So like, on the large side of things, you, you've got a limit. Um like, if you were to take all the atoms in the universe, scientists estimate that that's like 10 to the 80th. Okay. That means absolutely nothing to me. 10 to the 80th? 10 to the second, and I was around my limit for zeros. <laughs> right? It seems a lot smaller than I thought. What were you thinking? I was thinking, I don't know why I had this number, but you were looking it up, you know, trying to prepare for the show. I was thinking like uh, 1 to 146 is what I was thinking. Interesting. Yeah. Even that, that's 146 zeros. Yeah. One followed by 146 zeros. Right. 10 to the 80 is, is, is one followed by 80 zeros. Right. So it's a lot smaller than I thought. It's still a huge number. <laughs> yeah. Like huge. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're talking a thousand. That's only one followed by three zeros. You need another 77 zeros. Yeah, what, the national debt is only six zeros, right? I think something like that. It's in the trillions. So I don't know what you get to when you get to ten zeros, let alone eight powers higher. Right. That's that's a lot. I don't have a, a word for it. But I find it interesting there still is a limit. There's a, there's a, a cutoff, right? Mm-hmm. So those two, the microcosm and the macrocosm, pretty much form the boundary of our physical dimensional space okay then there is a world outside of that that we've talked about and that is what we would call the metacosm 
Okay. The metacosm is pretty much the spirit world. All those other dimensions that we can't measure or see or touch. Exactly, which takes us right into the second thing I normally like to talk about, which are hyperspaces and realms. Okay. Because as soon as you start getting to the, the metacosm and you start getting outside of our four-dimensional plane of existence, which is three spatial dimensions plus time, you immediately get into this whole other reality that operates very different than than we do. Okay. You know, this is where you get into things like, I don't, I don't know if you've heard of the three heavens, mm-hmm. first, second, and third heaven. I believe we talked about that, actually. I think we have on, on a couple on, different episodes. Right. Isn't it cool that we can say... Yeah. On prior episodes, we, we've discussed this. Makes us sound, like, even in conversation, uh, I'll be like, oh, yeah, well, we talked about that on such and such episode. I right. Straighten my tie a little bit. Get a little dirt <laughs> off your shoulder. Like, ah, yeah, yeah, we covered that. <laughs> I believe that was in late October that we went over that. But for those who are unfamiliar with the concept, this is a um, ancient Jewish slash biblical view of, of the heavens, which would be breaking it up into three sections. The the third heaven would be the city of God where his throne and governmental headquarters are actually located. And then the second heaven would consist of the astral plane, which sits right on, on top of our plane of existence and then outer space as well and, and all of that. And okay. then the first heaven would basically be our atmosphere surrounding the planet. Okay, so like when scripture says, you know, the heavens declare the works of his hands or whatever, it would, it would be talking about, I mean, it could be talking about any of them, but as small and as close as just the clouds and the birds that are flying through the, the air, right? Exactly, it could include all three, but it's probably more likely referring to the first one. Right. But like in your second one, you, you've got all sorts of creatures that are in that, in those other dimensions. You've got demonic spirits that exist in that that second heaven space you know that dimensional space uh-huh. you have god's angels that are there you have fallen angels that are there you've got hybrid beings that are there a lot of creatures and a lot of activity that happens in that so it is quite possible that even this i, I doubt that with all that evil activity the second heavens are making the declaration <laughs> you, you understand what i'm saying yeah no that makes sense but with god's angels in there it, it, i think it's possible that they could be okay that being said, um, hyperspaces help form the, the framework for realms. And I don't have, I'm, I'm still learning about this, so I don't have the depth of knowledge or really the time to unfold a lot of the information on realms. Okay. Um, for people who want more of an in-depth explanation as to what that is, I would suggest looking at uh, Bride Ministries Institute. They have um, several hours of, of, of teaching on that. But just for uh, an, an intro for people, our reality, the, the way things are structured, is very much so based off of this concept of realms, right? It's kind of like if you think about the Lion King and you've got Simba sitting up on Pride Rock talking to Mufasa, and Mufasa tells him he wants to give him the, the landscape and the layout of the entire kingdom. Look, Simba, everything the light touches is our kingdom. Wow. A king's time as ruler rises and falls like the sun. One day, Simba, the sun will set on my time here and will rise with you as the new king. 
And this will all be mine? Everything. Everything the light touches. What about that shadowy place? That's beyond our borders. You must never go there, Simba. And as inquisitive as I would be if I was Simba, first thing I go to, <laughs> look at that place that the light don't touch. What's happening over there? What okay. about that shadowy place? Right, you must not never go there, Spears. <sighs> Only the bravest Negroes go there. I'm brave. Fuck, I gotta watch that tonight. Anyway, <laughs> you have this concept of a kingdom, and a kingdom is a domain with a king, right? That's where the, the term comes from. Okay. Same thing is consistent with realms. We have realms within our body. We have within our, our physical, not physical, but within our human architecture, there are different realms built inside of us. We have a physical realm. We have a, a soulish realm. And we have a spiritual realm. Okay. Three-part being, right? Mm -hmm. That same pattern carries out into the physical world, which has realms, it has a, a physical realm and has a, there are geopolitical realms. You know, you have the realm of your, your home, the realm of your neighborhood, your county, your state, your country, the, the hemisphere that we're on, on the planet. And then also planetary realms, you know, the realm of earth, which is separate from the realm of Mars okay, or any of these other places. Uh, the same thing exists spiritually. God, the kingdom of God is a realm. The three, the, the three heavenly dimensions that we just um, talked about a moment ago are three separate realms. Even Jesus himself is a realm. That's why scripture talks about being in him. Okay. And he is a realm or a door that unlocks the realm of, the, of, of, of Yahweh. He's the entry point. So there are these overlapping realms that exist, right? Mm-hmm. The same thing happens for our, our bounded reality. We talked about the microcosm, macrocosm, metacosm, three different realms mm -hmm. that exist. When you're dealing with the spiritual world, we are on the earthly plane. We're probably on the bottom end of those realms. You can think of us as like the microcosm. Okay. Think of the spiritual world, like the second heaven, as the macrocosm, and then think of God's space his his realm actual heaven as the metacosm if you will okay so and this is a a question that i've had kind of bouncing around my head not to throw you off so when people in the the new age ish spiritual community talk about like higher and lower vibrational entities do you think that plays a role in what you're talking about or is it kind of a um a distraction to what's going on like if we're the microcosm of this this hierarchy of realms would be would we be like lower frequency or does frequency not really come into play with that because i think a lot of people confuse like lower frequency like lower moral beings higher frequency being like the elite beings do you think that fits in here or is it just kind of a a, a confusion of the enemy to distort the hierarchy of realms that you're talking about I think it's a confusion of the enemy, not necessarily to distort the hierarchy of realms, but to distort our understanding of the spiritual world. Now, here's what I mean by that. Energy by itself, well, it, scripture refers to us as salt and light, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, light 
it's not just the visible spectrum of things that we see, like when we plug in a light bulb and hit the switch. Light is actual energy, period. Okay. Including the visible spectrum, but not limited to just that. Okay. So sound energy could be considered light. Okay. X-rays, gamma rays, all of that stuff along the electromagnetic spectrum, all of that is energy, right? Mm-hmm. Because our body has energy in it, you could say that we have some sort of light in us, right? Okay. Which, again, is energy. Energy has to, in a physical sense, requires vibration. Okay. So we do vibrate on a certain level and a certain frequency just because we have energy within us. So we are, quote, unquote, a vibrational being. It's not to say that we are what what um, New Age esoteric teachings are communicating with that type of doctrine. Okay. I'm just saying we do, on some level, have a vibrational component to us. Mm-hmm. We, DARPA has researched that and verified that to be true, even with the fact that our different mental states, anger, uh, fear, hatred, all of this type of stuff, there are certain frequencies that are emitted when we are in those mental states. And our heart even projects that electromagnetic field, right? It does. And DARPA has even learned how to manipulate that. Like if you target that specific frequency at a group of people, you can generate that emotional feeling inside of them. That's a scary thought. It is. That's a whole other <laughs> you know, topic to discuss. Um, but it, it proves the point that, that we do vibrate. Okay. Even structures that look sound actually vibrate. You ever seen that video of uh, people walking across a, or a bridge that was like wibbly wobbly. I've never ever in my life used that <laughs> term. Never thought I would. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. You, you know, where it's you're like, what is going on? Is this is this photoshopped? Is this special effects? But it's a real real bridge, real solid structure that almost looked liquid, and how it was moving because the vibration of the steps or whatever on it. No, that's when the people were walking across. This is one where it, it, there's nobody on the bridge. Okay, I gotcha. And it was a it was a suspension bridge, um, suspended over a body of water. And I believe what happened is that the wind was coming in, and as it hit the bridge, it began to vibrate at what's called the the bridge's resonant frequency. Okay. And because of that, it destabilized the bridge. Interesting. A structure that you would think is completely sound looked like taffy. Okay. In fact, it's believed that when the the uh, children of Israel marched around Jericho seven times and were told not to say anything, and then on the seventh time, shouted that they hit the vibrational frequency of the wall and caused it to disintegrate. That's dope. Again, the U.S. military, DARPA, they have sonic weapons that are built off of this principle. Okay. So, yeah, vibration and vibrational energy is a reality of the physical universe. And I would extend probably beyond the physical universe because celestial beings also seem to emit energy. And so energy is still vibration. Okay. But I think the way the new age is selling it is not that this truth that God has put his energy into all living beings and your reflection of that. It's this idea that you have the God force in you. Okay. And if you can 
self-actualize exactly. or whatever, get your get your own energy up, then you can become Christ-like yourself. Or, or if you, can, you yeah, 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 just like that. Or if you, you you can ascend into the the astral plane, and you could talk with ascended masters, and they can give you the necessary energy to to change your vibrational frequency because you're a little dark right now, and we we need to move you up to scale to a lighter tone. Sounds racist. I agree. <laughs> but does that make sense? Uh huh. I think that's what's happening more so than just um, trying to deceive people based on the structure of the heavens. Okay. But that idea does not line up with your hierarchy of realms, right? The the new age doctrine, like cause people hearing it might think that it sounds similar. So I just wanted to dismiss if it doesn't line up, you know, that yeah. you can't project yourself into these higher realms just by attenuating your frequency on your own. I don't want to say that. I don't want to say that you can't okay. project yourself there. I would say that you're told not, not to, to, which seems to imply that it is possible. Gotcha. But that's not what God has caused, called us to do or permitted us to do. We do have, like we were talking about uh, our reality, we do have limits even to our, our space. Like we're not supposed to be a disembodied spirit floating around in the astral plane. Okay. We have bodies that God has designed for us. And we're supposed to stay in those bodies unless he gives authorization to leave, which you do see in scripture. Okay. Like when John was caught up. Right. Uh, I think, didn't the same thing happen with Paul? I think so. I think the same thing did happen with Paul as well. I don't think Paul landed real hard on it. He was like, maybe it was a vision. Maybe it actually happened. Okay. But it okay. does open up the reality. Like you were saying that this thing is possible. Exactly. Now, interesting enough, since we're just off here a little bit, <laughs> The, the fallen angels, it's recorded that they left their, their realm. Their, uh, I believe the, the Greek word was Okaterion. And yes. that was the, the home, the place that God had designed for, for them. They left that realm and plane and projected themselves into our realm. I wouldn't see what the problem was because angels seem to be able to do that mm -hmm. in Scripture. I think the difference is it was unauthorized. Okay, that makes sense. So if the issue is authorization and not capability, bringing that back to your question, I think that, again, it's an issue of not that you can't put yourself into these different realms by ascending, so to speak, but that you are not supposed to. Okay. And gotcha. I think it's done for protectionary purposes most of all. Because in order to do that in an unauthorized fashion, you have to put yourself in league with spiritual entities that are malevolent, have an atavistic hatred of both God and humanity, and are looking for ways to destroy you. And so a loving God would say, don't do that. Right. No, that makes sense. That, does that help? Mm -hmm. Now, since you didn't want to distract me from where I was going. <laughs> My bad. It was no. a little bit longer tangent than I thought it was going to no, be. But it was good stuff. Good stuff. I think that um, all of this helps to, uh, at least I hope, it helps to prepare the idea of, of sacred spaces. And I think where I was going was, I, I was saying that here on Earth, we're at the lower end, right? Mm -hmm. On the upper end, what you see is that there is an established spiritual government, right? Okay. This would be God's government. Mm -hmm. And there is a renegade government that is in direct opposition to Yahweh, right? And it operates in parallel contravention to the established will of God. Mm -hmm. 
And so what ends up happening, and we see this evident, we were talking about this, uh, I think, two episodes ago in our Cosmic Governments episode. What happens then is that there's a choice that mankind has to make, which is to which affiliation you will have membership into, which government you will belong to. Okay. This is where the choice between the tree of the knowledge of good and evil versus the tree of life came into play. Right. 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 It wasn't just about fruit or food or any of that. It was really a, a declarative decision of fealty. You know, we see this kind of, kind of like this idea with, with uh, John Wick. You know, will you be fail? Will you show fealty to the high table? Right. Right. right? Same basic idea that God's going to mankind. You have free will. Which government will you belong to? And unfortunately, we chose the renegade government. Yes. Right? And Mm -hmm. this started all these problems. Well, now being on Earth, we have people groups that are in league with the satanic government that constantly have to show and declare their fealty. They have to declare their loyalty to these different governments okay, or to, to this, this government. And the way, one of the key ways you do that is through the architecture that you build. This is why we see so often across the historical record, different ancient societies constantly building these either temples or sacred areas um, sacrificial places, whatever, and in honor to the gods, mm-hmm. so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. They're constantly honoring the spiritual authority to which they claimed, um, what's the right word I'm looking for? Claimed membership to. Okay. Well, Citizenship. They, thank you. That's a better word. Does that make sense, though? It does. And it. <clears throat> I have this joke, for whatever reason, running in my head. Have you ever watched the um, the series The League? No. So they're they're all in this fantasy football league, and uh, there's one character who's always paranoid that there's they're colluding against him, right? Okay. That's actually the first place I heard the term collusion, which sad on my part. But it, it's we almost need the the clip for the show that we can just play it over and over because there are these um, agendas of these supernatural governments working against us, right? Right. And then there's the people, like you said, that are colluding or conspiring with them. So we should see these these monuments and we should be like, collusion, collusion, collusion That's of the hilarious. highest level. <laughs> That's hilarious. I think we do need to make a, that a little uh, sound effect. That'd be funny. But uh, you, you're, you're right. They, they come into league. They come into agreement. And we see this on both sides. You see this on the biblical side for, for the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And you also see it in the biblical record for the kingdom of Satan. You get this idea of sacred spaces, spaces where I don't want to say the gods, but for lack of a better term, the gods honor that space and it becomes important. One of those is mountains. Mountains are always important. High places. Exactly. Mm-hmm. The Bible calls, yeah, high place. I was, I thought that was maybe just a couple stories. <laughs> But really, it's these mountaintops. Yeah, yeah. uh, That are really high up, which I think always helps place man in his proper place. Like the gods have to come down and descend on the the mountaintops and man has to go up. 
Okay. And even just to get to where these these beans are at requires a lot. It's not for the average person. This is so different from what we see recorded in the opening chapters of the Bible. How do you mean? Well, God created Eden, right? And Eden had these rivers running through it, plush land, lots of mineral resources, precious metals, all of that, right? Uh-huh. And then right outside of that, he creates a garden. And it's he places the man, the actual male that he created of humanity, in the garden. And then inside of that, he makes woman in the garden. He made man outside of the garden, placed him in it, and then made woman in the garden. Next okay. man. Right? It's so that he could communicate and commune with man. Notice he wasn't up on some mountain away from man and with man having to go through this arduous journey to get to God. Right, and it said that they'd they'd walk through the garden together in the cool of the evening, right? Exactly. It's God not hiking that. to the top of, of a mountain. Exactly. So different. Interesting. Than, than what we experienced. Like that movie 300 did a great job visually representing the, the um, arduous task that befell a person who wanted to even communicate with the gods. And in 300, it was the king wanting to talk with the oracles and the the learned men, you know, the the uh, occult people who could hear from the gods. He wasn't even talking directly with the god. Leonidas, we have been expecting you. The Ephors, priests to the old gods, inbred swine, more creature than man, creatures whom even Leonidas must bribe and beg. Worthless remnants of a time before Sparta's ascent from darkness. Remnants of a senseless tradition. Tradition even Leonidas cannot defy. For he must respect the word of the Ephors. That is the law. And no Spartan, subject or citizen, man or woman, slave or king, is above the law. choose only the most beautiful Spartan girls to live among them as oracles. Their beauty is their curse. But the old wretches have the needs of men and souls as black as hell. Pray to the winds. Sparta will fall. All grace will fall. 
trust not in men. Honor the gods. Honor the Karnia. The king's climb down is harder. Pompous inbred swine. Worthless, diseased, rotten, corrupt. Sometimes I feel so dumb. Okay. Because I. This is a safe place. I've, just, just, you know, express. I, First thing is admitting we, there's a problem. <laughs> we do these movie breakdowns and stuff, and I'm familiar with the idea of high places, and I've seen 300. I like the movie. And the way that you just explained it, I was like, totally missed that. Had no idea why he was climbing up there. It was I thought it was for the hot chick that was half half high. <laughs> you know, they have the the desires of mortal men. <laughs> the scum. But no, that's such a good breakdown of that that section because it does show there's this there's throughout paganism, there's this um overarching idea that we have to earn the gods' affection or we have to reach them halfway or, you know, some monumental task to show that we are worthy. Right. And totally missed it in that movie. <laughs> That's okay. I'm sure I missed it the first five times I, I watched 300. In fact, I hadn't <laughs> thought about it until just now. So we got to attribute that to the Holy Spirit. Okay. Because we were, we were asking for that before we started. Right, right. That's dope. Yeah. I ain't that smart. <laughs> so that being said, though, you, you see this concept of sacred spaces coming up. You, you got, like I said, the Garden of Eden. You've got the tabernacle layout, which is really fascinating on two different levels. The tabernacle layout is, is fascinating from the idea of biblically explaining sacred spaces. Mm -hmm. But it also helps reiterate the idea of dimensional perception, the significance of dimensional perception. Now, somebody hears me say that, they're like, I don't get it. What are you talking about? Cool. Let me explain. When you look at, I, I want to say this is in Exodus. It may not be there. Our Bible scholars can let me know. I didn't have time to, to track it down. I just know the story. Um, God is talking to the, the children of Israel, and he's giving them instructions on how they need to camp in the wilderness as they are going from Egypt to the promised land. Right? Mm -hmm. And so I, he has the the Levites camp in the middle all right and they basically the 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 camp of the levites basically forms if you will a square you can see that in your mind yeah then he broke out the rest of the tribes based on numbers so who, who was in there so there's a section of, of tribe that had to camp on the south end of of where the levites were so the bottom part of that square okay and they weren't to go any further than the east and west limits of the square so they basically formed a pretty long plank. And this was like the largest number of the different tribes was included in the southern plank. Then the other tribes were broken up into left, right, or east, west, and north planks mm -hmm. that also didn't extend beyond the borders of the square. Right. Because right? like as, as God is giving them the law, they are literally following the letter of the law. So right. if, if you are camping east... You don't camp southeast. Right. You have you to be it, very precise. Yeah. And it was very important you follow the precision. <laughs> yeah. And it would seem like God's just being OCD, like he's just anal. Mm -hmm. All right. It doesn't make sense, especially if you're reading this and you're on ground level. 
You're like, why can't I be over there with my boys who are on the, the you know, the northern plank? Mm-hmm. Or what's up with my girls on the east or west plank? We can't fellowship with them? No, you stay on the southern plank. It's, uh, are you segregationist, God? Well, I, I, I feel, I mean, I'm a southerner heart, but I'm kind of a northerner by birth. Can I, can I be up there with my kinfolk? No, you stay in the south. It wasn't about dividing the people as a punishment. When you elevate from, from the ground level and you go into the air and you look at the way this layout was done, astonishingly, it forms the, it forms the layout of the cross. That's crazy. Long plank on the, on the southern end and equal planks on the east, west, and north end. Something that wouldn't be apparent to someone whose perspective is limited on a two-dimensional level. You got to get that third dimension of height to get above it and see, oh, that's what this was about. But at the same time that he's telling the children of Israel how to encamp, he's forming a sacred space. And that sacred space is declaring to the spiritual world, this is protected territory. I like that. That tells us the reality of sacred spaces. They make declarations of ownership to the powers that be. Okay. That means they're significant. Similar, if we're going to scale it down to like a hood ornament on a car. It's not necessarily a sacred place, but it shows ownership. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So you see that again with the, uh, the tabernacle. You also see it with the temple layout. Like all of this stuff is important. There are also pagan spaces, pagan sacred spaces that are contained in scripture. You have Babylon. You have Egypt. You have, I always have trouble remembering this place where the throne of Satan was said to be in Revelation. Is it Pergamos? I'm not sure. Oh, you were my Google boy. I knew you knew this. No, I don't. I'm drawing a blank. I'm not even sure. I don't know. Uh, I got to get this. It's... um, uh, I believe it's Pergamus. Okay. Uh, in Revelation, I think it's Revelation 2, chapter 2, uh, where it talks about, uh, I know what you've had to deal with. You're 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 in a land where the throne of Satan is. Okay. I'm is, drawing a blank. I, I, I know we've talked about it before, but it's, I'm having trouble grasping it. Oh, it happens to me all the time. But it's another example of a sacred space. That being a, 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 a satanically sacred space. Okay. Right? But we have so many examples of that. One of the most famous is Mount Hermon. Yeah. Which acted as a forward operating base for the, the Watchers, which is a class of, of rebel angels, a special detachment that came down and, according to the Book of Enoch, actually set up the system of, systems of evil that we are under to this day. They taught the mixing of species, which would be transhumanism. They taught uh, they, they taught seduction, the art of seduction, which has influenced the fashion industry that we deal with. They taught metalworking, which produced warfare and weapons of war. They taught so much wickedness that it's what required the flood to be enacted and utilized as a form of judgment. Uh, you, you've got Mount Hermon also acted as the... Uh, place for the grotto of pan is right near Caesarea Philippi. It's believed that this is even the possible location for the transfiguration of Christ. Isn't there also a UN building on Mount Hermon? There is. 
Yeah. It's a, it's an important site. Then we've got classical pagan sacred spaces like Stonehenge or the Great Pyramids. We've also got uh, the Great Serpent Mound located in our home state. A little, little too close for comfort. Right. And then we we're talking about in episode 42, Wakanda Forever, there is the, um, I do not know how to pronounce the name of this city, where Quetzalcoatl, uh, where Quetzalcoatl's temple is, mm-hmm. but it's somewhere in the Yucatan Peninsula, that area. You know, again, we've got these sacred spaces spread out all over the globe. You've got Baalbek. You've got, a, you've got um, Easter Island. Yeah. There are a lot of places where sacred space is actually recognized. We even have it in the modern world. You were mentioning a moment ago the UN base on Mount Hermon. Mm-hmm. That's actually part of the United Nations Disengagement Observer Force. Okay. It's the highest UN base on the planet. It sits on Mount Hermon for some unknown reason. Nothing to see here. Right. Purely we, accidental yeah, coincidence. We, we just needed a base there, you know, nothing crazy. Do you know what disengagement observer observer force means? Do you think the UN has told me what the disengagement observer force means? No, but I thought maybe you looked it up. I ain't have that much time. Okay, no, that's fine. It's just it's an interesting. I wanted title. to know what were we disengaging. It sounds like we are here to to stop or interfere with some sort of altercation, or at the very least to observe it. Yeah, it's it's the, the phrasing is so interesting. So disengagement observer, right? Force. It doesn't, it doesn't seem <laughs> like the makes first sense. two. Yeah. Right. I, I got you. But here's another example. CERN is another modern sacred space. It sits on top of the ancient gateway to the underworld. Okay. Then you have the Lucifer Telescope as another example, which sits on top of Mount Graham. Mount Graham is considered by some of the um, Native American tribes or nations to be one of the holiest sites in the world and one of the most active portals. And their uh, lore, if you will, I don't even know if lore is the right word, let's say in their history, they record a lot of activity happening on that mountain. And now it's under ownership of the Catholic Church, Hmm. which has sidestepped legal procedures in order to claim ownership of this site. Of course. But it's, again, a sacred space. Yeah, so this idea, we, we say all of this so that when we start getting into some of these sacred spaces uh, and the architecture design, it doesn't seem to be a, a fanciful idea so that people can understand this is not accidental. The, these, these sites exist, and even where they are located is important. Like, they're not accidentally built, any of the, these sites. Like, have you ever heard of the term ley lines? I have. It's a real provocative concept, right? I don't mm-hmm. know where you stand on it, but I know a lot of people are like, nah, no, I don't believe all that. I have no issue believing that they exist whatsoever. Awesome. We can keep talking because neither <laughs> do I. For those who are unfamiliar with the idea, the concept of a ley line, a ley line is a, this idea that there are grids. There is a, a grid over the planet, and there are these lines that form the grid, and these lines actually conduct spiritual energy and where they intersect are at key points. They form these nodes. Well, there was a, there was a guy that did, um, I don't think he specifically said ley line, but he did a breakdown of all of the supernatural events recorded in the Bible. 
Okay. And they all follow, or like 99% of them follow this this straight line through the region. I would love to see a map of that. It was pretty cool. Yeah, if we could get our hands on that, we should post that in, in uh, Patreon. Okay, I'll see if I can find it. But that, that would be dope. Some people are like, I don't, I don't believe that. The United States has some very interesting lines on it. If you look at the uh, five significant population centers on the eastern seaboard, Mm -hmm. they form a line. Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Philadelphia, New York, and Boston. They're all in a straight line. They are. Okay. But what's crazier is they're in a straight line with Stonehenge. Really? You extend that line out, account for the curvature of the earth, or I don't know what the flat earthers would say, but whatever it is, you got to, if you account for it, Mm -hmm. it it intersects with Stonehenge. That's unsettling. Isn't it though? It's also fascinating to me. I saw this other map in the studio notes. I didn't realize that that was Stonehenge. Yeah. And if you extend that line out further, it intersects with the the ancient city of Troy and it intersects with Baalbek. Baalbek is one of those megalithic structures, one of the, one of the most significant megalithic structures, because we not only can't figure out how it was built, mm-hmm. the precision of the cutting of the rocks that are beyond what we could lift by crane today mm-hmm. are so precise, it said you can't put a piece of paper between the rocks. That's nuts. It is a mind-blowing architectural site. Mind-blowing structure. No idea. Like, there's no human way you could create this. Okay. So it evolved. You said it evolved. Yeah. What evolved? The Baalbek site with all the precision. Since human beings could oh, have created it, right? So it just happened completely by accident. Yeah, it evolved. All these random stones falling and breaking in certain ways, and so the just, precision. Yeah, if you just give it enough time, entropy magically turns into precision. I like that. Hang on, before we move past it, because I'm just looking at this map. So we have the all of the major cities on the eastern seaboard, uh, board Stonehenge, uh, Baalbek, Troy, and then this other one all the way at the bottom. Is that the Temple of Quetzalcoatl? Oh, you know what? I looked over that. It is. That's even crazier. It is. All of those are in a in a straight line. What is that? Titu Titu Khan. Not sure how to, I think that's how you pronounce it. I'm, yeah. I'm going to stick with the way you said it before, is I don't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think I butchered that. <laughs> but yeah, that's insane. Well, this one's going the year through New York. Yeah. I'm going to assume that the other ones are, are on that line too. Right. Because if Washington, Baltimore, Philadelphia, New York, and Boston are in a line, yeah. then that would line up with uh, the Temple of Kukul Khan, Stonehenge, Troy, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Baalbek. Yep. That's not an accident. That's crazy. What's the what's the chance that you could build these sites and account for plate tectonics? Yeah, I don't know. Huh. Crazy, bro. Yeah, it's kind of blowing my mind a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, all of this pushes towards this this idea then of Illuminati architecture, right? Mm-hmm. We, we, we've got our limits and scope of reality. We understand now microcosm, the macrocosm. We understand the metacosm that sits on top of that. We've got hyperspaces. We even talked about realms. So now it makes a little more sense why you have to have sacred spaces. 
Right. Because you're declaring your allegiance, right? Mm -hmm. Well, when it comes to that, we're definitely going to start talking about the Illuminati architecture, but we got to take a moment to just define Illuminati because it's one of those terms that are, it's growing in popularity and in pedestrian usage, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's under, it's definition. I don't think is, is clearly understood. You ask the average person, Hey, is the Illuminati real? And be like, I mean, Jay-Z is real. (laughs) It's gotta, gotta be real. Uh huh. Right. I hate to break it to you. Jay-Z is not the Illuminati. Wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. First of all, you're not going to speed past that like you didn't just say what you just said. <laughs> Jay-Z is a social influencer. Okay. Who will be used by the Illuminati, but he's not necessarily in the Illuminati. Okay. Now, people are like, Spears, why you say that, man? And you weren't you referencing him a moment ago? Slow roll. Yes, that was before. We got some new information. We had to update our database and make some changes. That's what we call learning around here. We're constantly in a state of learning. So five episodes, I may revise my statement. But as I understand it, the the Illuminati is really an ancient bloodline or a, a collection of ancient bloodlines that are in league with Satan. Okay. Okay. And to be more specific, human bloodlines that form the earthly contingent of the synagogue of Satan and serve as vessels for lines of iniquity that predate humanity would probably be what we mean when we talk about the Illuminati. Okay. Not just the Bavarian branch that was set up in 1776. Exactly. And it's, I'm so glad you mentioned that. See, you be smart, man. <laughs> I try. No, nah, no, nah, you be rolling. You be holding back sometimes, <laughs> but no, that, that's so good because the Bavarian Illuminati is a sect of it. Most people don't think of that. If they know about, Adam Weishaupt and the Rothschild branch that helped to to establish that uh, with the third member. I always forget his name. Jacob Swift. I don't think that's it. But there's a third guy who helped establish all of that. That's the Bavarian Illuminati. They helped. They 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 um, infiltrated the Scottish Rite Freemasons mm-hmm. and basically took over all of that and and reorganized the Masonic structure so that it operates as the evangelical arm of the Illuminati of the Bavarian Illuminati. Okay. But if you really want to talk about bloodlines of the Illuminati, and we've gotten to this a little bit before, you know, talk about the Rothschilds, the Astors, the Kennedys, the Lees, the, the Rockefellers, you know, all of those, those 13 bloodlines all the way down to the Merovingian. Those form the, the human branch of the Illuminati. But as a whole, the Illuminati is our entities and bloodlines that are in league with the synagogue of Satan. Okay. They are not necessarily all human. Gotcha. That's the real kicker. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Not all humans. Some are from hybrid lines and other species lines that, that we haven't had a chance to dig into yet. Okay. So we just tell people to wait on that one. <laughs> I like it. I like it. But you get, that this is where you get some of the information and knowledge necessary to build these structures in the fashion that they are built with the celestial alignment, with the uh, constellational agreement and congruency that's shown in the architectural design. It's because the knowledge is coming from outside human sources. Okay. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Now, people are like, I don't, I don't know if I could buy that. I don't know if this is really true. Okay. 
I get it. Let's take a look in our own backyard. Let's start with the principal capital city of our nation, which would be Washington, D.C. and its layout. I think this will help the person who's struggling with this idea maybe come to terms with it. All right, let's get into it. Now, I've got family that lives in D.C. Uh-oh. Yeah, my, my dad's Cut ties. Side. Uh, of what? The family? Yep, cut ties. Get out now. Well, oh, the whole family? The whole family. Why can't we just take the family out of D.C.? Oh, yeah. Wow. Just that quick. You just fell right into Luciferian ideology. I know, my bad. Just broke up the whole family unit, <laughs> cut ties and everything. That's crazy. What I meant to say was was get get them out. Yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen, I used to have a best friend. <laughs> but no, my, my dad's family lives in D.C. Um, and it's actually one of my favorite places to go. I've never actually been. We should do a road trip. We should do an ORP road trip. That would be dope. And go to D.C. Because I probably would be able to have more fun and take more time looking at stuff that, you know, you and I like than I can if I, when I go with my, my kinfolk. Okay. So by the time we get there, everybody's just ready to just go straight to wherever we got to go, hotel or whatever, and go to bed. Gotcha. You know, they're tired of all the driving. But I would like to look at very specific things. Um. And it's kind of one of the things. One of the things that gets me in trouble when I'm there with my family, I, I like to look at this stuff from a different perspective, right? Because I used to go to DC and just be awed by the power centers that are there. Okay. Right. I remember walking down the street one day, made a left. We were staying at a hotel somewhere downtown DC. Made a left, and it said U.S. Treasury. And I was looking around, and I was like, "It's a movie lot." <laughs> like they have, I can't believe they have a sign that says U.S. Treasury. I wonder where the real U.S. Treasury is. Oh, like that can't be the real one. It cannot. I think I'm, we made another turn, and it was like the FAA building. I was like, look at it. It's not the real FAA building. Like, there's no way you could just walk up and see the sign FAA building. That seems like something that would be off limits. Mm -hmm. But D.C. is that weird type of place. Like all these official buildings, the the uh, was it J Edgar Hoover Building, FBI's headquarters. Okay. All that type of stuff. You can literally drive past it, walk up to it. You Weird. can actually go in it. You, That's crazy. It's it's a really strange space. I felt like I was on a back lot of, you know, somewhere universal. It would almost seem surreal, right? That's what it felt like. It didn't help that while I was down there it was the time that DC had the sniper situation going on. Okay. So every time I, I, would, <laughs> I would turn, I would look at the rooftop and be like, they're going to take me out. <laughs> they're it's, coming just for me. Right. I'm, I'm going to be dead in front of the FAA building. That's not where I want to die. It's not how I saw it going down. But DC's street layout is really weird. It is. Like, I'm used to standard rectangular grids for okay. a city. Mm -hmm. DC has streets that you can almost see straight down, but they're at angles. Okay. That just, you're like, it's just, that's weird. And you, don't, you don't think much of it on ground level. Okay. But as soon as you elevate yourself, you get a, a added dimension of perception, right? Mm -hmm. You get, a, you, you, you get higher, not you get high, but you're, <laughs> you're, you're able to look at the city layout from an elevated position. It takes on a different level of significance. Well, similar to like all the like the Nasdaq lines and the Serpent Mound. What is the Nasdaq line? They're um, it's all earthworks from ancient civilizations that from from the ground level they just look like okay, this is this is interesting, right? 
but they 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 gain significance when you look at them from the air because then they start creating shapes they start you know aligning with different constellations and and things like that there's it's interesting that a lot of the pagan cultures had these type of things that unless you had an ability to get above ground and get an aerial view they kind of lost meaning just like the uh the the tribes in Israel, right? When they lined up from the... Mm. So it's interesting that... I don't know if it's mimicry of that. You know, it's it's kind of a... Uh, a, uh, a a twisted inversion of, of that type of architecture. As these things are three-dimensional, you have to look at them from more than just head-on and appreciate the fact that they do take on, like you said, a different... Uh, feel or a different significance from a higher perspective. Right. If if you look at DC from let's say like Google Maps or or any sort of digital map service, right? Uh-huh. And you you highlight the White House. There's something interesting about the street layout. And that is the fact that there are there's a pentagram built into the street structure of Washington DC. And not only is it a pentagram, it's an inverted pentagram. Okay. Right? Which has its own esoteric significance, its own occult meaning. Mm-hmm. The pentagram's crest, I guess you call it the crest, right? The point of the pentagram that would normally be up in the air because it's inverted, the lowest, the lowermost point of the pentagram actually sits right above the White House. Uh-huh. This is important because occultists have already gone on record and said that the pentagram is one of the most powerful symbols in occultism. Okay. Right? There are a couple other symbols that are probably equal or maybe more significant, but this is one of the most important ones. And the pentagram is a a five-sided figure. Okay. Oftentimes, we see this displayed in what we would call a star. Right, right. Right, this is the most common way that it's displayed. Now, you have the Pentagon, which is another five-sided structure, mm-hmm. kind of built off of the same principle. But even the center of the Pentagon, there's a star. Okay, yeah. Right, right, and it's, uh, what is that, like a little courtyard that they have. Uh-huh. It's, it sits there. It's not accidental that there's a star there in that building. Right. Well, you have built into the street structure of Washington, D.C., an actual star. And occultists have said that the purpose of the star is actually to direct the seething powers of Lucifer. But when it's inverted, it becomes the star of the goat or the symbol of the goat, the okay. Baphomet. Uh-huh. Right. That whole um, hermaphroditic idol, satanic idol that's become very, very popular in modern culture now. Mm hmm. The symbol of the goat. That's why we run around talking about he's the, he's a goat. Yep, he's the goat. You know, we call it the greatest of all times, but really it's an homage to the goat god, which would be Pan. Right. That is the the goat god. It's actually the caricature, the common caricature of Satan in our culture. That horn, hooved, red, cloven figure mm-hmm. of antiquity, that's really Pan. And Pan was this god in ancient times that people would sacrifice to, and he would put them into these wild states of, of fritz and fancy that they would go into when they would have these orgies and they would actually be very destructive to society. They called it getting into a panic. 
Interesting. It's also where we get the term pandemonium from. Okay. Right? And this God even has biblical significance when you go to Jesus talking to Peter on the mount, right? And he's talking to him and asking him, who do you say I am? And I'm going to build this church. The gates of hell will not prevail Mm -hmm. against it. He's actually standing on the mountain that's just above what they call the grotto of Pan, which is the temple of Pan. Interesting. It's like there's, I love when scripture, when you find significant spiritual geography. Uh Uh-huh. That's on the planet. Like when it overlays on, on our natural plane, like that is so cool. Right. So it's cool to also see Pan in our culture and realize he's got significance way back in antiquity. Right. Uh Uh-huh. But having this star, this symbol of the Baphomet here in our capital city is most alarming. Yeah. And if you hear, if you watch the the history channel, if you're looking at, you know, the the mainstream media, you're going to hear Masons talk about the fact that yes, everyone knows that Masons were responsible for building DC Right. Everybody knows that there are Masonic symbols laid out in the structure of D.C. But one of the defense mechanisms you will hear them say is that this star, if you will, we'll put in air quotes, is not even a true star. Right. Mm-hmm. Because you're dealing with an, a, a street structure that apparently is not fully completed. Right. So the star, the streets that make up the star, K Street, Connecticut, Massachusetts Avenue, Vermont Avenue and Rhode Island Avenue. Mm-hmm. And the, the the kicker is that the Rhode Island Avenue is incomplete. It does not complete the star. Right. And so the, the, the common feedback is that that's not a completed star. So this whole idea that you're coming up with is a conspiracy theory. There's not a true star there. Mm-hmm. What most Masonic defense or Masonic apologists leave out in their defense is the fact that I believe it was Manly P. Hall who actually said that there is significance to an unfinished star. It has occult significance. The point of an unfinished star is to trap Luciferian energy. The reason that it is inverted is so it can be directed. Okay. So if you look at the street or the grid structure, the layout uh, of Washington, D.C., you have an unfinished star that is designed to trap the seething powers of Lucifer and funnel them and focus them to the lowest point in the star, which is where the white house. Exactly. That means that there is an occult tool that is being used to funnel satanic energies directly into the white house. That's crazy. That's gotta make the hairs on your neck stand up a little bit. It should. And if you're a serious follower of Christ, it's got to make you go, wait a minute. Now, nothing frustrates me more than when I'm talking with people in my family about this who live in D.C. And they're just like, ah, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. It's so irritating when you try to wake people up to this. Yeah, no, I agree. Because they don't want to hear it. I'm like, this is your city. This would be like somebody talking to us about the great serpent mound. We'd be like, that's just a mound of dirt. Right. It's not really a serpent. Like, you're is you're it, making is it, something out of is it. Is it in a serpentine structure? Is it curvy? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, but I mean, it's not this whole big thing that you're making it out to be. Mm-hmm. But anybody else with two eyes can recognize. As a matter of fact, Ray Charles can see it. <laughs> right? Well, yeah, I had heard 
this, and we had, we'd even touched on it in uh, another podcast. But I was like, you know, I want to see it for myself, right? Okay. Because I've seen the little diagrams and stuff, but I I actually wanted to go and like look at Google Maps and zoom in and like really see what we're dealing with. All right. And I was actually surprised because it's not just the street sh- structure that accounts for this this pentagram. Because you mentioned the the lowest point being the White House, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of other significance that shows signs of intentional design. Every single point on this pentagram stands a monument. It's not just that all the roads cross in different ways, and if you trace it out, these these convoluted streets and, and weird angles make a pentagram. No. All five points of the pentagram have a specific monument or building there, and then each one also has a corresponding labeled shape associated with it. So if we start, because in, in America we typically write from left to right, Typically. Typically. All right. So if we do that, we begin our pentagram at the Washington Circle, right? All right. So it's the Washington Circle. There we have that shape. And there's George Washington equestrian statue in that spot. And I, it looks to be like a roundabout. I've not been there, so I'm only going off of what it what it looks like from Google. Okay. Looks like it's a roundabout. Inside the roundabout is this Washington Circle with the George Washington equestrian statue. So then we take K Street straight across. So now we end up at Mount Vernon Square. And in Mount Vernon Square is the History Center and Carnegie Apple Library. So it's not, like again, it's not just these roads that make it up. Like each stop has a, a particular monument. So from there, you can take Massachusetts Avenue up to the DuPont Circle. Seems like it's a, another roundabout. And in the DuPont Circle is Rear Admiral Samuel Francis DuPont Memorial. A specific point. Wow. Travel down Connecticut Avenue. There you have Lafayette Square. And that's where the White House is. Then you take Vermont Avenue to the Logan Circle, which is another roundabout. Has equestrian statue statue of John A. Logan. And another, you know, roundabout, another monument, another specific point in the pentagram. And that's where you get Rhode Island that doesn't all the way connect back to the Washington Circle. It leaves that last, that last little leg of it open. Which it has to in order to trap those satanic energy. Right. And like you were saying, there's that, there's the Masonic cover up, right? They were like, oh, you know, we we made this, but as far as we know, if it's incomplete, it doesn't really have any power. So I was trying to do some some research, and I, I came across some pretty interesting information on that. Uh, there's absolutely no doubt that a partial pentagram appears in the street designs of Washington. You can look at a satellite photo of, of Washington, D.C., and see the pentagram. It seems to be symmetric around 16th Street, which is the street that runs into the White House. If you look at the earliest published maps of the District of Columbia, that uh, the design that was laid out by, by Pierre L'Enfant, you can see this partial pentagram. But it is just that, a partial pentagram. Uh, Rhode Island Avenue does not connect all the way through to Connecticut. Uh, I've always wondered to myself if we Masons are so all-fired powerful that we can have this uh, satanic device put in the streets, how come we weren't smart enough or powerful enough to have it completed? But as I understand the use of the pentagram, it's the fact that it is a complete symbol that gives it its power and force. 
I've never heard of anything being associated with an uncompleted pentagram. These assertions would seem to close the argument, except for the fact that the unfinished or broken pentagram is a recognized symbol in the occult. Manley P. Hall writes of the uses of the pentagram in his book, The Secret Teachings of All Ages. He says, the pentagram is used extensively in black magic. The star may be broken at one point by not permitting the converging lines to touch. It may be inverted by having one point down and two up. When used in black magic, the pentagram is called the sign of the cloven hoof or the footprint of the devil. Bro, I didn't know that was the clip you had. Yep, that's it. Bro, that was like the exact thing that I listened to. <laughs> oh, that is dope. When it's like the History Channel or Mason's. Man, I, I looked through so many different videos. I couldn't tell you exactly what I pulled that one from. Yeah, that oh, that is such a great clip. That was exactly what I was talking about. And it's so excellent that they actually interviewed a Freemason. And he all plays it up that, well, I've never read anything that an incomplete pentagram has any power like well except for one of the most influential freemasons of all time manly p hall i was like who did you guys get to do this interview <laughs> right because it'll make yeah. you, it, the interesting thing is it'll make you question what you think you know about esoteric uh organizations mm -hmm. and i think that's the point right you know the guy comes across very sincere and he for all intents and purposes he may be telling the truth as far as he understands it. Oh, yeah. That's that's definitely a possibility. But the reality is that his organization recognizes a very different reality. Mm -hmm. There is a significant importance to having a pentagram engrafted into the actual street layout of your principal city. Mm -hmm. And they said it's the footprint of the devil. Right. And our capital city. Right. Yeah, that's, we should be alarmed. And you've got it pointing directly to the White House. Uh-huh. Absolutely crazy. It's now, you were telling me something about another pattern that you recognized with this, this star. What do you mean? Specifically in the... Yeah, you were saying NDC? something about the, the equal distance from... The White House to, I think, uh, what was that? So uh, the road directly north of the White House is 16th Street. Right, right. And 16th Street travels up through the pentagram, but in the, the intersection between, like, the two points. Yeah, so like I think where it's those, where Massachusetts and Rhode Island intersect. Yeah, where they converge as part of the pentagram is a thing called Scott Circle, which is another roundabout, another... I don't know who Scott is, but it's called Scott Circle. Okay. And that's half a mile from the White House. So like half a mile north? Yeah. Travel okay. half a mile north on 16th Street. That's Scott Circle. Okay. What's interesting, if you go half a mile north of Scott Circle, which would be like the mirror image of the White House on 16th Street, right. is you get the House of the Temple. And that is really, that is where the Supreme Council of the Scottish Rite Freemasons meet. That's their headquarters yep. in Washington, D.C., right? Yep, sure is. Wow. It's crazy. Wow. Now, nah, we're reaching, man. This is this is not <laughs> intentional, right? This is just a bunch of uh, two Christians sitting down 
wanting to come up with a conspiracy theory about the layout of Washington, D.C., right? Right. Like we had any influence on this, on this structure at all. Exactly. So, I wonder if there's any other pentagrams or pentagram, uh, pentagram maps. Well, it's interesting you said that because in this research, I accidentally found a different pentagram. Okay. Because I was looking, you know, pentagrams in D.C., pentagrams in the U.S. and all of that. And I, I came across it and I was like, ah, this isn't what I'm looking for, but it's interesting. So I decided to save it. And then we were talking earlier about ley lines. And I was like, oh, I got to find this picture because it's crazy. Apparently, uh, it's from pentagramofblood.com. And there's a a pentagram over all of North America, right? Okay. Well, and even, is that Central America? Like it touches a little bit in, in Haiti and Mexico, you know, all the way up to the top of Canada. But it creates this pentagram, and they call it the pentagram of blood because there's a number of um, horrific events that happen where these lines intersect and on these lines. Really? Like what? Well, from the line from Mexico City to, uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce this, uh, Najat, Canada, which is apparently evil in Egyptian. Okay. So, so if you if you would draw a line from, from those two points, Waco happens on this line, JFK getting assassinated happens on this line, and the Oklahoma City bombing all happen in this direct line between these two points. Okay. And then if you ha- uh, drop a point in Portland and then drop another one in... Um, the Port-au-Prince? Yeah. We have uh, Hurricane Katrina... We have Columbine. Uh, what else do we have here? That might be it for that one. I think you got a Hurricane. If I'm looking at this right, I see Hurricane Andrew. Okay, yep, yep. And the and the Haiti quake, right? Yeah. Yeah, all happen on this particular line. Do it again, draw the line from Mexico City to St. Saint, Saint John, and you get the VA Tech ma- Massacre. You get the the 9-11 attack on the World Trade Center. It's interesting. It is. I think we should post this on Instagram. On Instagram? Yeah. Okay. So people could see this. I'm not sure exactly what it is. It, it, it is possible. It's a long shot, but it could just be coincidence. But it's worth looking at. If we're talking ley lines, we're talking pentagrams, we're talking agendas and orchestrated events, there, there could very well be something to this. Yeah, that, that's interesting. All of this kind of gives that eerie feeling, especially if we take into account the significance of a pentagram, right? If we're, we're going to say pentagrams are important, if we're going to say and hold to the fact that they have significant occult meaning, then seeing this stuff played out would really cause one to, to take a step back and probably be a bit concerned about, I wonder what's happening on these other spiritual grid lines. Uh-huh. Right, because it's not just about drawing a star across a map just to see what you can see. I think it begins to reveal the fingerprint of the spiritual entities operating over over a region. Right, and when we understand that the people who were primarily responsible for building out key places in this country were Masons, 
then you can't overlook the things that you see. Right. Because if I draw a star, I mean, now that I know this stuff, it's a little bit more suspicious. But, I mean, people can draw stars and not necessarily have it mean anything. But when you have an organization that writes about the black magic significance of these um, images or uh, symbols, then when they use those, I mean, you... The, the 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 distance between these points is not is not very far, right? Exactly. And so it makes you pay closer attention to what they're using because like we say around here, symbols are to the eyes what words are to the ears. Yes. Right? So what we're looking at is communicating something to us. And not just to us, it's also communicating something to other entities, right? But it's a language. Mm-hmm. That's what I think is missed by the average person today. Architecture is a language. It is a means of communicating a message, right? It's not just, it's not just done for function, right? Forms a part of it. I wonder if, you know, they talk about like, why don't they make things like they used to? Mm -hmm. And we get a lot of this just grotesque, bland, uh, function only architecture today. I wonder if that's part of the, the psyop, right? In what way? What do you mean? Well, the fact that like these elites, I, I mean, not even just the elites, but like look at the old cathedrals and, and all this architecture used to have significance. Okay. Well, now that it doesn't, we have a whole generation of people that think that no architecture has significance, right? Okay. So then, oh, it will, it just happens to be a pentagram, or it just happens to be... Ah, I see what you mean. You know, because we'll look at all these other places, it doesn't mean anything. Why all of a sudden should it mean something over there? Yeah, that's kind of what you run into, like pointing out to someone, hey, you know there's a statue on top of the U.S. Capitol. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, it's just a statue. Right. Like, it's not that big a deal. Uh-huh. I had to start changing the word that I would use to say, you know, there's an idol on top of the, the U.S. Capitol. Right, then people's ears start to prick up a little bit. Just a little, but at first they're they're dismissing of it. And I'm like, no, there's an idol. It has a name. It's called the Queen of Heaven or Lady Liberty. And even the building that it resides is called the Temple of Liberty. Temples are houses of gods. Mm -hmm. So if this is the, 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 the image, the statue that's in this house, then it indicates that it is a idol. Right. Why is there a, a temple to a God other than the quote unquote Christian God mm-hmm. in a, well, that was just where I should have put quotes. Why is there a, a statue to another God in a country that is quote unquote Christian? Okay. I gotcha. I gotcha. Doesn't make sense. Does it? It, it doesn't at all. Neither should some of the other things that we're going to talk about in this Illuminati architecture episode. Because when you're dealing with with Masons, they do have a very good, very keen and in-depth understanding of occult architecture. Mm-hmm. In the middle of our principal city sits one of the most egregious symbols I've ever seen. Okay. Right? When you tell people what this is, I almost get in trouble for wanting to say it the way that I want to say it. This is how bad this image is. Okay. There's a giant penis sitting in the middle of Washington, D.C. Like, Is it, a, is it sitting a, or standing? You know what? Correction. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to start over. 
There is, I'm trying to give a little bit of pause for people who have their kids that listen to our show. <laughs> Right, okay. kind of a moment where if you don't want your kid to hear this, you know, plug their ears, pause the show, because I'm going to talk like it's just adults in the room. Okay. All right, that's enough time. <laughs> There's a celestial dick standing in the middle of DC. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. There's no other way to say it. You're like, no, there's not. I'm like, yes, there is. Is There's a giant celestial dildo standing in the middle of Washington, D.C. Yeah. What is it? The Washington Monument. Yep. Okay, that's what we know it as. We call it the Washington Monument. But if you look at this structure, there is nothing American about the design language of this structure. Nope. This structure looks foreign by nature. Right? We we don't see this many places in our, our country. Right. Except here and a couple other uh a couple other places around around the globe. Mm-hmm. You see smaller versions of this object in grave sites, but there's a very important reason why you do see smaller versions. Okay. Normally this is actually to indicate the person in the grave is a mason. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, you so know, if you, you see like a miniature obelisk in a in a cemetery. Yeah, the Washington D.C. is an obelisk. It's an Egyptian symbol. Oh, did I jump the gun on that one? You you did. My bad. Sorry. But I just gotta tie the dots. Uh, the Washington Monument is 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 an obelisk, and the obelisk is an Egyptian symbol, right? Mm-hmm. But it has its own importance and meaning behind it. Okay. This, you got to say, I, I got to lay this out so that you understand even the significance for why having it in a graveyard is important. All right. Because they're all tied. Okay. The obelisk by name actually has embedded meaning in its name. Ob, bell, and isk. Right. Okay. So when we see it, we if we know that the Washington Monu- Monument is an obelisk, mm-hmm. we just kind of memorize the word obelisk and whatever that means. Right. But it actually has constructed meaning it's it's the combination of three different words which is ob bell and isk ob being um small and then bell b-e-l being a derivation of ball or bale okay okay so bale is an ancient storm god that in scripture was indicative of of satan indicative yeah he indicated satan gotcha what are you doing? Trying to question my word usage? No, I just wondered if there was a double entente. <laughs> I see what you did there. That was, that, was, that was very good. Thank you. Thank yes. you. I was going to say it went over my head, but I don't want that to be part of your double entente. <laughs> All right. And then you've got the isk part, mm-hmm. uh, which means shaft. Either that means shaft or it means small, and ob means shaft. But I think that ob is small. Gotcha. But either way, this this constructed name means the small shaft of Baal. So they're saying his shaft is larger than this? Yeah, this is just a small... Remember, you're talking about celestial being. Oh, okay, I gotcha. I right, gotcha. so this is just a, an indicator as a monument, if you will, <laughs> for Baal's shaft. Now, this goes back. The reason it's Egyptian is it harkens back to Osiris and Horus and all of that in ISIS. When he got his body cut up? Exactly. And they put him back together, but they couldn't find a shaft? Right. So she had to fashion that. 
Okay. Right? She had to fashion that in order to pregnate herself and, and become pregnant with horse, I believe it was. Okay. And then that's part of the death, burial, resurrection cycle. That's yeah. all present in Washington, D.C. when we go into our inauguration ceremonies. Because doesn't the shadow of the obelisk, the Washington Monument, like cast into the the Capitol building? It does. And then understanding, again, like we said, that architecture is a language. Mm-hmm. The Capitol building is is symbolic of the ever-present or ever-pregnant belly of ISIS. Okay, so the whole like rotunda, that big bulge on the front of the Capitol is supposed to be the womb? Yes. Interesting. And so you're supposed to have energies coming from the sun god, which I want to say is Osiris. Because like, I get Osiris and Horus mixed up. Yeah. But I want to say the sun god's Osiris. He sends his energy through the shaft of Baal, which then the shadow goes into the Capitol building, which is supposed to impregnate the, the capital, and then what we have come out of it is our president every four years as the inaugurate presented to the gods. That's what an inaugurate is. So it's not enough that he resides in a house where the seething energies of Lucifer is channeled into. Constantly. Constantly. Right. But he's born from this architectural ritual. Right. That's crazy. That we walk through every four years under the auspices of an inauguration, not even recognizing that an inauguration in and of itself is not an American idea. It is the the ancient presentation of an individual before the gods. You would present an inaugurate before the gods for consideration and approval. So, again, it matters. The, the more you understand how this work works, the less your vote makes a difference. And the way that you're told your vote makes a difference, I'd say, yeah, you're correct. I don't want to say that voting doesn't make a difference. It does. It just doesn't make a difference in the way that you're sold on. Gotcha. Right. Right. Right? You're indicating certain things to the powers that be. You're also giving permission to the powers that be. But no, it is not a purely democratic process as we're told that it is. Gotcha. Absolutely not. And if you don't take my word for it, Just watch the predictive programming that they put in front of you where they have to, by their code of ethics, tell you what they are doing. Mr. President, I want to thank you for appearing, and I hope we get to clear some things up for the American people. Mr. President, the floor is yours. You can take as long or as short as you like. If you have any written statement, we will include it after, and it will be part of the record. Mr. President, you are recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. For too long, we in Washington have been lying to you. We say we're here to serve you when, in fact, we're serving ourselves. And why? We are driven by our own desire to get reelected. Our need to stay in power eclipses our duty to govern. That ends tonight. Tonight, I give you the truth. And the truth is this. The American dream has failed you. Work hard, play by the rules. You aren't guaranteed success. Your children will not have a better life than you did. 10 million of you can't even get a job even though you desperately want one. We've been crippled by Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, by welfare, by entitlements. And that is the root of the problem, entitlements. Let me be clear. 
You are entitled to nothing. You are entitled to nothing. America was built on the spirit of industry. You build your future. It isn't handed to you. And the problem with Washington is that we haven't given you the tools to build it. The only way for us to serve you is to give you the means to serve yourselves. Well, that's exactly what I intend to do. Not handouts, jobs. Real paying jobs. In the next few weeks, the Democratic leadership will introduce a program called America Works. Its goal is simple, to put the 10 million Americans who are unemployed to work, all of them. If you want a job, you get one. The cost is $500 billion. Now, that's a lot of money. To pay for it, we'll need to rethink Social Security, health care and benefits from the ground up. We can't maintain the welfare state as we know it. Now, that's not a popular thing to say. Anyone running for office wouldn't dare utter those words. Every advisor and consultant and staff member would beg a presidential candidate not to say them. But I can say them because I will not be seeking the Democratic nomination in 2016. Candidates are cautious. They must equivocate. They dodge and tiptoe. But I'd rather leave this office having accomplished something of value than secure another four years having done nothing at all. Franklin Delano Roosevelt ushered in an era of hope and progress when he proposed the New Deal. And at the time, his reforms were considered radical. But he once said, this country demands bold, persistent experimentation. It is common sense to take a method and try it. And if it fails, admit it frankly and try another. But above all, try something. Roosevelt would have understood better than anyone the necessity for trying something different. The New Deal succeeded for many years, but we must now try something newer before it fails us. If America Works succeeds, we will reinvent the American dream. If we fail in our attempt, we will admit it frankly and try another. But above all, we must try something. Thank you, and God bless the United States of America. Man, that is freaky! Freaky! But it's a great example of what they do. See, it's important for them to tell you what they're going to do so they don't fall under judgment from their own code. Because their code basically says that they can't do wrong to people, right? Mm -hmm. So, But if you tell someone what you're doing and they don't stop you, they gave you permission, you didn't necessarily do wrong. Okay. I, I have a little, I have a, a side theory on Revelation of the Method. Okay. I don't know if I've shared this with you before. But we, in all of this, we we talk about how it's Satan's effort to counterfeit, hijack, and usurp all of the institutions set in place by the Creator God Yahweh, right? Correct. So if they have this revelation of the method, if they have to reveal in some way what their agenda is, you know, based on their code or what they think karma is going to bring in the next life or whatever, I was like, I wonder if this could be an inversion of of the way that God deals with us. And there's scripture that actually says that, that God won't do anything that he hasn't told his people first. That because we're his friends, he tells us what he's going to do. So the inversion of that 
is this weird twisted idea that if they subtly reveal their efforts, it's them trying to fulfill that Yahweh-ish mantle and process. Interesting, dude. I've never thought about that. It's crazy, right? Yeah, that's an interesting take. Because if they don't, if they're secret, then they're still not able to do do like or be as Yahweh, right? Right. Because because they've they Satan wants to set his throne to the the height of of gods. Right. So yeah, be like him. Right. But because he's perverted by nature, there's got to be a twist to it. Uh huh. I have never thought about that, but I like that. Thanks. Yeah that that's that's dope. Thank you. I'm putting that in the back pocket. <laughs> All right. Yep, that was my Spears. So, wait, anyway. Wait, wait, Huh? Can I get an invoice? <laughs> <laughs> Touche. <laughs> man, that's two I got on this that's episode two already. One, man. man. <laughs> you must have took a nap earlier or something, man. I don't know what's popping over here. I guess. That is funny. Uh-huh. So, where, where were we? Uh, aside, we're going through the whole ritual stuff of what happens in Inauguration Day, right? Yeah, you're right. There, all of this is pregnant, no pun intended, with <laughs> significant occult meaning, mm-hmm. right? And so now you have this Egyptian symbol sat right in the middle of, of, of D.C. And again, you have to realize that none of this is accidental. Like there is a documented, there, there was a documented, what, what do they call that when they have a, a bidding, I think? Okay. Public bidding mm-hmm. um, where we, we put these plans up and they, they went through a process before they got approved, but it's called the most approved plan. Okay. This is recorded in the library of Congress. You can go on their website right now to type in or search most approved plan. And it shows you all the steps they took. And it shows you that this type of stuff, the, 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 the Capitol building, as well as the monument, this stuff was intentionally designed and put into our principal city. And it had to be because, again, Thomas Jefferson said, this is dedicated to all pagan gods. This is why we see the occult iconography, the occult symbolism spread all through D.C., right? And this Mm -hmm. is why we we see obelisks. Now, we were saying earlier, obelisks happen to be the shaft of, of Osiris. Yeah. Yeah. When his body was cut up, apparently this is what they couldn't find, and so his wife had to had to recreate this in order to to impregnate herself, right? And this is basically the god. This is part of the religion of Masons. If you notice, the Masonic religion has these aprons, right? Mm-hmm. That they they use. You ever wonder why? Because they're sloppy when they eat. Yeah, no, it's not up near their their chin. It's actually down around their waist. So I don't know who's eating. I'm going to let that go. We probably still got kid folk listening. All right. Um, but it's because their religion is a phallic religion. Okay. It focuses on the penis. It focuses, and it has to because of the story with Osiris, Isis, and Horus. Okay. Right? There's significance there. That's why you see an obelisk as part of their iconography. It's also why they cover up that sacred part. Interesting. That's why they have the aprons. Okay. Right? Now, if you go back into biblical times, it's interesting that God would tell his prophets, tear down the the uh, the poles in the high places, right? Mm-hmm. This is the type of stuff it was talking about. Yeah. It doesn't say obelisk in scripture, so you don't make the connection. Right. And it's not like, go tear down the George Washington monuments all over Egypt. 
Right. Right. Or all over Israel. But essentially it was talking about this. And I think that there might be another embedded significance to the obelisk. But before I get there, let me let me stay on track with what I was going to say earlier. Because this religion is so focused on the penis, right? Mm-hmm. And it's so focused on death, burial, resurrection. You put that symbol on followers of the Masonic order when they die. Okay. Right? This is why when you go into graveyards and you see that, it's like, oh, that was amazing. But there's also a significance to having that there. Mm-hmm. To having this tool that's supposed to help resurrect the spirit of of Osiris. Interesting. Right? So mm-hmm. now when you see it, not only will you be like, there's a mason there, you realize it's also part of a resurrection ritual. Right. That's crazy. But then there's other significance to, to an obelisk. Now, I'm wondering, this is what I was going to say a moment ago. Okay. Our culture is so fascinated with size. Mm-hmm. Right? They are almost preoccupied with size. Right. And this comes all, all the way down to, to penal length. Mm-hmm. And, and girth and all of that. Right. There's a thing that I was told is going on even in the, the, the pornographic industry where with the use of dildos, one of the bigger things is to use one that's called like a dragon. Right. It's, it's uh, apparently pretty long, but it's supposed it's, it's not shaped like a human's uh, a human being's reproductive system, a okay. male human being's reproductive system. Uh, it's got a very weird shape to it. Okay. It had me considering the idea. Given what we know of the Nephilim, right? Uh-huh. And given we know of what their size was like. And the fact that they did, they, they were a result of angels taking on human form and impregnating women. Mm-hmm. Right? And whatever that angel's size was like, physical size, when they manifest into the physical realm, what they produced that became known as the, the men of renown mm-hmm. were, were giants, Okay, and like like Doctor Banner said in Marvel when he was talking to Black Widow, <laughs> you know, we I can't reproduce. I mean, just let's think about it for a minute. If I change into the Hulk, right, what that will do to you? Yeah, right. I wonder if our preoccupation with size is not a callback to the time of the Nephilim. That makes a lot of sense. I wonder if that's also not indicative of our preoccupation with height. Like the taller a man is, the better. Yes. You know, from I the way our society that. looks to that. Shout out. <laughs> <laughs> As the person said down, we went to Kentucky. We're both very tall. <laughs> but that's not the point here. I had dinner with my my or I had breakfast with my dad the other day. Okay. And the waitress walks up and we look at each other and both of our eyes kind of got big. And she's like, Oh, you're as tall as I am when you're sitting down. I was like, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But I, I wonder, remember when it said, um, a, a, this idea got into my mind going over the section of scripture with Saul, right? Israel wanted a king. That doesn't seem so bad, but given what we know about where kings come from, mm-hmm. they're derivative of Nephilim government, right? Yes. Okay, so now here's Israel saying, and Israel was supposed to be a, a light to the rest of the world, a model to the rest of the world, this is how it should have been done. But Israel looks around 
at its neighbors that are all under pagan demonic kingship and rulership and says, we want a governmental structure like them. And their governmental structure is based off of the gods they serve. Okay. So it makes more sense why Yahweh told Samuel, don't be upset. They didn't reject you. They rejected me. I was like, I'm not getting all that from the idea of I want a king. Right. But if the idea of earthly kingship is derived from the reality of Nephilim overlords, then Israel looking and saying we want a king is really them saying we want a God king similar to what we see the other cultures having. And they have satanic Nephilim monsters as God kings. Right. And so God's like, that's a rejection of me because I want to be your king. You don't need a human king that's telling you that they have the right to rule by way of their divine bloodline, so to speak. Right. Right. I'm trying to do this different and you're trying to get allegiance again into the Luciferian kingdom. Stop it. Interesting. But when they went to go pick a king, what did they pick? The tall guy. Exactly my point. I would have. I'm sure you would pick a tall guy. (laughs) I'm going to let that go. Thanks. But do you understand what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Essentially, they picked based on height. As though they knew the taller the better. But the Nephilim were tall. Right. I wonder then if that height slash size difference carries over even into reproductive organs. And if that's not why you see these large shafts everywhere. Even when Israel was talking about the 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 uh, the large poles that they had. Like, I wonder if it's not a a callback, a collective memory of the quote-unquote golden age when Nephilim ruled the planet. It would make sense, and, it, and that would also make sense why in cultures or circles where, where sin and corruption abounds, it's a bigger deal. Pardon the pun. <laughs> but it, it, it carries more weight. I'm not sure how to say this. Man, we just, you, we're just going further and further. But you know into what I mean? Black hole. Like, like as that, as the the further away you get, Oh, maturity. The further away that you get from from Yahweh's um, constructed order, uh-huh. the more you seem to fall into this kind of nephilim, like everything that you're saying. Yeah, it's interesting. I think it's fascinating. Now, there are a few key places that you find obelisks throughout the world. There's only two places that you find an obelisk in, in close orientation to a dome. Okay. One is here in the United States, obviously the Washington Monument and the U.S. Capitol Building. Uh-huh. The other is in the Vatican. That would have been my guess. Right? Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Yeah. You see it right there in the circle. Right. Now, you also see obelisk in London. You see them in New York. Uh-huh. Names are interesting, by the way. Okay. You ever notice in, in our in our city or our, in our state of New York, there's a city called New York, right? Mm-hmm. Did you know that there's an original York? I mean, it makes sense when you say it like that. So in England, I believe there's York, and it it's it used to be a, a principal financial district. Okay. Is it any wonder that as people migrate and they came over to the United States, they established New York, which became one of the principal financial cities of the world? Interesting. 
and there's an obelisk there. Huh. There's one in London. Okay. London is another city with with key words that are interesting. Did you know there's a difference between Greater London and the City of London? I did not know that. So the City of London is an independent state, nation state, sovereign territory. Okay. That's about one square mile. And it sits inside of Greater London. It has its own police force. It is not subject to the laws of, of, of the UK. And it's said to be the home of the Rothschilds. Really? Yeah. It's their banking center. <laughs> I believe it is where the the House of International Settlements is located. Interesting. Which is the central bank of central banks. Huh. It's also the center, the ley line center for the financial districts. Really? Yeah. It's all connected. Isn't that crazy? Uh-huh. And there's an obelisk there in London. Hmm. Interesting stuff. It is. We start seeing the ties. Right. And, and the, again, and the all, deeper meaning behind it. Right. Because the Rothschilds are responsible for financing Adam Weishaupt and the two others who help establish the Bavarian sect of the Illuminati and infiltrated the Masonic orders and Man. U.S. government. Yeah. That's nuts. Thinking about the like the satanic rule, right? And how we try to mimic or how these secular governments try to mimic the old ways. Mm -hmm. It really has me thinking, have you ever heard of King Mausolus? No. So I was doing some research in this and King Mausolus was an interesting character. When I started reading about him, I was like, this sounds eerily familiar. Really? You've heard of him before? In doing research. Okay. Like, I I had not heard of him. Okay, full disclosure, I never even knew what a mausoleum was before I did this episode. Yeah, that's the place for dead people. I didn't know that. Okay, that I know, but what about this King Mausolith? Okay. Like, are they are they connected? Oh, they're connected. Really? Yes. Yeah, so, okay. So, King Mausolith is actually why, where we get the name mausoleum. Oh. King Mausolith. He's a really interesting character. He married his sister, <laughs> Artemisia, right? That's why he's interesting. Well, no, it's part of it because if you look, like we talk about how all of this trickles down, it's all part of the Nephilim agenda, the seed war. Okay. And you, we talk about how even the the, the different mythologies are representations of, of actual Nephilim events, right? Right. And the royals, like you were saying earlier, think that they have the right to, to rule because they're descendants of the gods. Well, Zeus married his sister, Hera. Okay. So it's his, his sister wife. So King Mausolus has a sister wife, Artemisia. Both of them were considered incredibly beautiful and incredibly wise. Are you going to make me think that Mount Olympus is in West Virginia? I mean, maybe. maybe I mean, there's a, there's a, a lot of these one. gods having incestuous relationships. Yeah. It's weird. Wait, but it's not just the gods. It's also the Rothschilds. Like you, this, this ideology trickles down from the celestial beings to the elites that, that govern our societies. Interesting. So he wasn't just super wise, and he wasn't just extraordinarily beautiful. He was also a little bit of a douchebag. All right. Because he extorted money, vast amounts of money, from his people, 
And then when that wasn't enough, he decided that he was going to tax them almost to the point of starvation. Wow. Yeah, because he was greedy. Okay. So he ends up dying, and because that they have all this money that they've extorted and taxed away from their people, his wife, sister, Artemisia, decides she wants to build this monument to his death, right? Okay. So it's a giant above-ground tomb for King Mausolus they called the Mausoleum. It's actually one of the ancient wonders of the world, the Mausoleum of Halicarnassus. Wow. Yeah. Never knew that. They were so hated that as soon as King Mausolus died, the island of Rhodes was like, sweet, we can go in there and we can kill his sister wife and we can get back some of the stuff that's owed us, right? Okay. Didn't work out. She was vicious. Really? Yeah. I, I believe it was through some level of deception. I'm pretty sure that the ships of Rhodes showed up and she surrendered immediately, right? Okay. So they go up to take her. And then she decides, oh, wait, I didn't surrender. Actually, there was this hidden group of ships that were hiding, like, around the island or whatever. Okay. That came in behind, killed all the people of Rhodes, but that was, or all the, the, the attacking fleet of Rhodes, but that wasn't enough. Okay. They take their clothes and take their ships and go back to Rhodes. Oh, wow. And everyone back home was like, oh, we won. That's so great. And let these ships roll right in with all the troops of Artemisia and wipes them out. Not completely, but makes it known like, mm -mm, you picked the wrong one. Wow. I know what you say in secret, that they have lost their protector. We know what you whisper. They have lost their protector. Now is our time to strike. Gonna hit me, you're gonna hit me with Wakanda, huh? <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I thought. But she actually then erects a giant statue of herself that remains the largest statue in Rhodes until the other um, ancient wonder of the world, the Colossus of Rhodes. I was about to say, was that I was wondering if the Colossus of Rhodes was actually a, a depiction of her. No, okay, hers was a stand in until they decide to build this other one. Okay, wow, crazy stuff. And, and then I was like, okay, Halicarnassus. The first several times I read it, I was like, I don't even know how to pronounce this. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I wonder what it means. So the mausoleum at Halicarnassus, it's got to have like some sick meaning, right? Because Greek is so specific and all the ancient names meant something. Right. There's no answer anywhere on the internet. Shut up. Really? Yeah. Nothing that I could find on Halicarnassus. There was one that was like, maybe it means descendants. And I was like, well, that's weak. But then I kept looking and I kept breaking it up and I'm not a Greek scholar. So if there's anyone out there that, that knows better than I do, you know, let us know. But the name Halle in Greek or Halia means from the depths of the sea. Okay. And, and if there's some combination of Halia and, and, and the, the other definition of descendants, then the name Halicarnassus, which is where this mausoleum sits, the name would be Descendants from the Depths of the Sea. Okay. And if we're talking about these Nephilim bloodlines and these creatures from the depths, right, from the abyss, it's interesting that it's then noted that they're descendants of these, these things from the depths. Interesting. So it's all interesting in some sense, 
But then you got to go, what does this have to do with Illuminati architecture, right? I was about to ask the question. <laughs> well, we talked about the House of the Temple, which is that mirror image on 16th Street of the White House. Okay. That House of the Temple, which is the headquarters of the southern jurisdiction of the Scottish Rite Freemasons, was modeled after the mausoleum of Halicarnassus. Are you kidding me? Nope. No. Uh-huh. I'm looking at a picture of it now. And flipping to to Wikipedia. Uh-huh. I can see it. It's crazy, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's not an exact replica. No, it's not. It's like a a, a stylistic rendering. Mm-hmm. But I, I can see some of the the uh the architectural language coming through. Yeah. I could see some of the the inspiration for it. But I've still got questions, right? Like why why they choose that? What right? Why did you choose an above ground tomb to be your headquarters? Right. And you could go, well, you know, maybe it's that death burial resurrection motif or whatever. But actually it's a little bit more twisted than that. They there's actually remains in the house of the temple. There's dead people in there. So it's not just a mock mausoleum. It is actively and functionally a mausoleum. Okay. Who's buried there? Two people that I know Hold of. Hold on. This is not where Albert Pike is buried, is it? Yep. Are you kidding me? Nope. Pike is buried there? Pike and... I thought he was in Arlington. No. Who's the other person? Uh, it's another Grandmaster, John Henry Coles. Okay, I haven't heard of him. I don't know what he's done. And it it seems like I should if he's buried right next to Albert Pike. Albert Pike is a pretty important Masonic author. Right. Like, he was responsible for writing Morals and Dogma. He was responsible. Some say that he actually helped start the KKK. Uh, He was also responsible for setting up the the letters on the three world wars. Uh Uh-huh. He's done a lot. And he's written a lot that's helped to actually establish the upper-level doctrine of the Masonic Order. Mm-hmm. I think he's one of the only Confederate officers that's buried in D.C. Okay. That's all you hear, that he's buried in D.C., not where he's buried. Yeah. That is mind-blowing. And this it makes me want to do some research on this Henry, Henry Coles or Cal's character, because... He's got to be pretty important, too. Exactly. Because they both sent outside of the the pillars of charity, and on those pillars, it says uh, Sanctum uh, Templi, which is Sacred Temple. Inside the House of the Temple, which is probably why it's called the House of the Temple, because it houses this sacred temple where these these two are buried. But I found an article, I think it's by Tom Horn. Uh, Pretty interesting information. Let Let me read it to you. Among dedicatories to those who support this invisible secret doctrine, there is a, mori- a memorial alcove in the heart of the house of the temple called the Pillars of Charity. Here, between two vaults on either side, one containing the exhumed remains of former Sovereign Grand Commander Albert Pike and the other containing Sovereign Grand Commander John Henry Cowes, marked by busts of each man on marble pedestals, a stained glass window depicts the all-seeing eye above the words Fiat Lux, emitting 33 beams of light downward into the phrase 
Ordo Ab Chao from ancient craft Masonic doctrine, Order Out of Chaos. In between meetings with the anonymous Masons who met with us during the research for Belly of the Beast, we stepped into this shrine and read the names of those who are hallowed there on the reflected golden inscriptions for contributing at least $1 million to advance the cause of Scottish Rite Masonry, including the George Bush family, whose work to initiate the New World Order is universally understood. <laughs> Crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. I like how he just throws that in there. Right. It, everybody knows. Right. No big deal. Says, at the house of the temple, like elsewhere, the Brotherhood of Darkness, as our friend Dr. Stanley Monatieth used to call it, intentionally hides in plain sight the occult aspirations of the secret plan, which ultimately will be realized in a one-world order, one-world religion under Pope Francis Petrus Ramonis and the son of Lucifer. Apollo, Osiris, Nimrod, or as Manly P. Hall put it, the outcome of the secret destiny is a world order ruled by a king with supernatural powers. The king was destined, descended from a divine race that is belong to the order of the illumined for those who come to a state of wisdom than belong to a family of heroes perfected human beings. When Hall offered this astonishingly perspective, perceptive, I'm sorry. When Hall offered this astonishingly perceptive commentary about the future Masonic king who is descended of a divine race of illumined, luciferic, heroes perfected, half man, half God, Nephilim human beings, he nailed exactly what the Cumian Sibyl's prophecy on the great seal of the United States says will occur concerning the coming of Apollo, Osiris, and Nimrod. But it may surprise some readers to learn that even U.S. president and vice presidents believed in the hidden message on the great seal and were and are dedicated to seeing this prophecy fulfilled. Man, Horn doesn't pull punches. He does not. He is a heavy hitter. Right? That is a lot to digest. Yeah. It goes straight from being this weird mausoleum to being a, a, a temple and a declaration of a secret doctrine, which then points to the Antichrist that comes through Freemasonry and Catholicism. I mean, essentially, that's what he laid out, right? Pretty much. Pretty much. And then tying that right to the Great Seal of the United States and coincidentally to the back of our $1 bill. Right. Because you've, you've done great work on that on, on this podcast before, breaking it down. The Cumian Sybil prophecy and all that. Thank you. That was a lot of work. I know it was. But I no, know it was. I got, I got a lot of that information from Tom. Okay. Yeah, but uh, there's um, essentially a, a Masonic esoteric prophecy on the back of our $1 bill, which was... The, the arranging of the art on the back of the $1 bill was conducted by FDR. Okay. Right. And FDR is a 33 degree Freemason. And he was, con he was coordinating that through his vice president at the time, Henry Wallace, who was a 32nd degree Freemason. Okay. And so both of them are schooled. They're high, high level Freemasons. They were educated in the significance of Masonic art they understood what the great seal of the United States was actually saying, right? It's, it's called a tessel board, which is 
when you use art in order to communicate a message that only a, and an, 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 not an adept, but only a master who understands the language can interpret, but you're doing it to interpret to subsequent generations. Okay. Right. And apparently this is something that, that Masons do, which means again, that art has significant meaning that is not just relegated to what's on the surface. It's important to understand that it can be encoded meaning in that. But the fact that the great seal of the United States was actually the, the obverse, which is the front and the reverse side. When we read, like you were saying, left to right, the right side or the, I'm sorry, the left side of the U S dollar bill Mm -hmm. should have the front of the great seal of the United States. But it has the back. Correct. Exactly. And then the right side of the U.S. dollar bill should have the back, but it has the front. So it's that whole writing backwards, thinking backwards. Inversion. Inversion. Exactly. But then all of this is taken from the, what you see written on the back, especially with the order out of chaos, one world order, Novus Order Seclorum, all of that stuff that's all taken from the Cumian Civil Prophecy, which basically talks about Apollo, Satan's Saturn son, returning back at the proper time. Okay. Which is where we get this idea. It's not where we get it, but it is an ancient pagan iteration of what the Bible already states as being true, which is that the Antichrist will come. Right. And that it will come from uh, out of out of the abyss, right? Mm-hmm. That they're the destroyer, Apollyon. Out of the we'll abyss, the mausoleus being a descendant of... Those who come out of the deep. Yep. Interesting how all of that connects. Yeah. It all ties together. And it's not just America, though. Like, if we're talking about a one world order, we have to expand outside the borders of our country. Because one of the things that 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 Drew Misson uh, talked to me about is that one of the things, one of the errors of America, because there's such patriotism and pride and all of that, is we, we tend to be just myopic to ourselves mm-hmm. right and we are the standard and everyone else is is substandard to us well we own everything so it's not our fault i mean we act like it but i'm really I, joking because we don't the rothschilds own it well yeah we own nothing right not even our own property exactly but if we're talking about a a world order and world religion we gotta look at the un right you'd have to because they're the they're this they're spearheading this the whole thing You'd have to, right? The UN is is the second, I want to call it the the second modern iteration of this idea of uniting the nations. Right, because before it was what, League of Nations? Exactly, and that faltered under Woodrow Wilson. So the powers that be, the powers that put him in office, the Rothschilds, actually went back and did that whole Tony Stark thing where they learned from their mistakes and they started it again. They started this whole League of Nations idea under the auspices of a United Nations. Okay. And you would think for some reason, I, it would not be germane to me that the United Nations would be headquartered in the United States. I would think it would be somewhere over in Europe. I didn't know it was here for the longest time. Right? Me neither. Until someone pointed out, and I was like, no. Isn't it in Europe? Nope. It's right here. Right in New York City. Uh-huh. New York City! <laughs> <laughs> So I was trying to do some research in this, and we know that what was it the uh, the Rothschilds or the Rockefellers that dedicated or uh, gave the land for the UN building? Yeah, I believe Rockefeller dedicated. Dang it, Christopher! 
got me making the same mistake. My bad. I, I believe he he gave that land, which used to be a slaughterhouse. Okay. To the United Nations. Seems fitting. For people or animals? I think it was an animal slaughterhouse, but that's a fair question. Okay. So I was trying to do some research on this, and I, I'm not easily offended. Okay. But I came across this really old propaganda, and I wasn't, I wasn't going to use it because it's so terrible, but now I'm going to have to – I'll put links to it to the Patreon, in the Patreon. But it's this terribly old black and white propaganda film about the, the UN building. Okay. And like it's here's how bad it is. When I first went to watch it to study for this or prep for this episode, 15 seconds in, I turned it off. Really? Because it's black and white and it's that like real drawn grainy. out, grainy, but like that long organ music oh, and the long, gosh. like you kill gonna me throw now. up just hearing about it, right? Yeah, I'm close already. I feel queasy. So I tried and I was like, nope, I don't want this. I want no parts of this. But I'd kind of gone through all my other content, and I was like, okay, I'll just... So I fast. I had to fast-forward through several sections because there's several clips in between the places where they talk where it's just really old scenes of them tearing down and building the building with terrible organ music playing. Okay. Here's the thing that I thought was, was incredibly interesting and a little bit offensive is the whole premise of this propaganda film was that children were there's like maybe about 10 they were throwing a fit that their playground was on the land that was going to house the united nations building okay so it's this really bizarre like why do they have to take our playground you know bratty kids from the 1920s or however old this thing was okay and it's this very condescending journey is they talk to all of these adults that are like, well, this is what we're going to do. And this is why we're building it. Like explaining the reasons for the UN and why this is why it's good for you to give up your playground for all of this good work that we're going to do. And then slowly the kids get on board. And after bickering with each other at the end, they're like, you know, it's all right. We don't need our playground anymore. We'll give it up for the UN. And I was like, wow. Like, Pro- hmm. propaganda on so many levels mm-hmm. but then to be so condescending that it's explaining it to you like you're a child i was like right right i came away with so many different emotions i was like i never should have watched this stupid right i'd have been mad yeah essentially i'd, I'd have been upset you know taking me through all of this emotional turmoil called me a child talk about my playground and then essentially get me to the point where i'm willing to go okay Right. And take, don't realize you're programming me. Right. Take my stuff. It's fine. Right. Right, right, right. <sighs> it's ridiculous. Propaganda is nasty. It is. It is a, I, I would go as far as to call it a satanic methodology of indoctrination. Yeah. Like, it's a tool for, for controlling a person's mind. Mm-hmm. We don't see it that way. We don't. I mean, it might be a dirty term depending on where you grew up, but we've we've tried to sexify it and just call it PR. Right. And it makes me wonder if that's some of people's hang-up for God. I'm not following. God doesn't have a PR person. Okay, I am following. 
<laughs> well, he's not trying to manipulate us. Right. He so when we're conditioned to only buy into things which have have been brought to us by way of propaganda, then the thing that's not being propagandized is going to be off-putting to us because we're not used to being fed things that are just pure. It's like when you are you grow up on junk food and you get real food and your body rejects it. Yeah. I don't know what to do with this. Yeah, that's exactly right. So you're looking at, well, why, you know, why didn't you say it this way? Or why didn't you, you know, why isn't the cover on the Bible shiny or, you know, something like that. It should be. It should be. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's weird we get so programmed to um you know the 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 presentation the ingestion the presentation the ingestion we just get in this this cycle and then you get something that's just like well this is just the way that it is and you're like eh need some sugar on that <laughs> man we've got a problem here we've got a logistical issue i'm looking at the notes and we have got well over another 2 hours worth of content easy and we're already pushing uh, over a couple hours. And I think even for our audience, a four-hour episode is probably going to be a bit much. So I'm proposing what is going to be a historical first for Operation Red Pill. I'm suggesting that we go ahead and cut the episode this week's episode right here and then pick up next week where we left off getting in, into some of the other esoteric Illuminati influence masonically built structures in other key parts of the country that sound good bro yeah that's not a bad idea because we've got tons more to get into and uh, it's going to run us pretty long so we'll go ahead and wrap and uh, we'll pick this up next week because it's going to get real good it is, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, you know what it is. Stay frosty.